All right, well, tonight we are continuing in our series called Renewal. And tonight I just wanted to bring you in on my own journey of experiencing the renewal and redemption of God in my own life. So in 2019, I took this leap of faith and followed God across the country to help go start a college ministry in Fargo, North Dakota. And I had a dream in my heart to be a part of revival specifically amongst college students And God had opened up a door out there for me to actually see that dream come to fruition. So at this point, I was 23 years old. I had just graduated from the discipleship school here and graduated from college a year prior. And I had the opportunity to stay here and to jump on and be a part of college staff and be an intern in the college ministry. But I felt like God was leading me elsewhere. So six months prior to this, of moving out there, Um, I had gone up to Fargo, North Dakota to visit some of my friends. Um, Their parents had a church um, out there and they were having a prayer conference. It was for like a 24 hour prayer weekend um, where they did these things called burn prayers where you'd stay up all night and you would um, simply pray and somebody would be leading worship on stage. And they were actually flying out a famous worship leader and a couple famous speakers to come. And they invited me to come check it out. And I was like, sign me up, I'm there. So I start taking a couple of flights to get out to Fargo. And while I'm on that first flight there, I listened to this sermon and it was just kind of random. I was just like, I like to hear this guy talk. So I'm gonna listen to this sermon. And as I'm listening to this sermon, God starts to use it in a very specific way for the rest of this trip. So in the sermon, the guy started to talk about um, something that I didn't fully understand, but I knew that God was speaking to me through it. Like I said, I had this dream in my own heart to see revival. And oftentimes throughout revivals, God starts a renewal in, in a few people before the revival breaks out in the church or in a city, in a region. And I'm like, God, sign me up. I wanna be one of those people. Please start a renewal in me. And so the, in the sermon, the pastor was talking exactly about just this very thing. But the way that he was doing it was using an example in scripture that I hadn't really heard before and honestly kind of caught me off guard and I thought it was a little weird. So he uses the example of Elisha in 2 Kings chapter two, receiving a double portion from Elijah. And he specifically called it an Elisha double portion anointing. So it sounds a little bit kooky and a little bit weird. And I thought that at the time too, but I was like, I don't know what it means. I have no idea what it means but I want it. Like it was one of those moments when you're hungry for revival, when you're hungry for renewal in your heart, you're like, I don't care what it looks like, God. I don't care at all. Like just do it in me. And so we get to the prayer conference um, at my friend's church and I was feeling really stirred and super excited to be there, especially now after being hyped up by the sermon. And we get there, we go to a couple of the different sessions, hear a couple of the different speakers, to be honest with you, it was pretty dry. Like I didn't really feel like God was doing anything in my own heart and I was getting pretty bored and I was kind of bummed that I spent like $400 on these flights to get up there. And I know it was a little selfish, a little self-focused of like, God, I just wanna hear you speak to me and I should have been focused on pressing into prayer and all of that good Christian stuff. But I was really like, God, I'm longing for you. I want you to burn in my heart. And as I'm there, we get to the last weekend or the last Um, sermon of the weekend. And at this point, I'm like, all right, God, would you just show up in a small way? 
And so the speaker, the mainline speaker, starts to get up there and he starts to talk about this very passage, this very specific passage of scripture that's really near and dear to my own heart, which is Habakkuk 3, chapter, Habakkuk chapter 3, verses 17 through 19, which is all about waiting for the renewal of God even when you don't see it. And it's so near and dear to my own heart that I actually have a tattoo about it on my left arm. And it's that deer that I have. It's not a lope. I'm not that big of a GCU fan. <laughs> I've had many people ask me that before, but it's about this passage of scripture that I'd gotten a year prior to this pastor giving this sermon. And it had marked my life because I had been in a season of waiting for God to come and meet me in the barrenness. And so he starts to talk about this in his message. So at this part, I feel really intrigued, but then it really starts to hit me. And he's like, this passage of scripture is going to mark someone's life. Like they should go and get a tattoo about it. And I'm like, huh, that's oddly specific. Like I've already done that. And then we head into a time of response after he gets done with that. And this lady named Cindy gets up to share a few very specific things that she believes the Lord is doing in the room. One was she was talking about somebody um, having a hurt knee and they needed healing for that. And I had hurt my knee a couple of weeks ago and I was like, oh, I don't think that's for me. That's probably for someone else kind of shying away from it. And the other was about being in the waiting and believing for God to show up in a powerful way, just like I had been longing for. And I just knew that I knew that I knew that one's for me. Like I could feel the Holy Spirit tugging on my heart. Like I'd been praying for that for a very long time and it just didn't seem like anything was happening. And I was especially passionate about it after hearing that message, right? On the Elisha double portion anointing and that kept like going on in my mind. But I did that thing where we hesitate for like five minutes. Like, should I really go up there for prayer? Should I just like sit back here in the back and receive it and not actually get the guts to go up there? And then my friend comes and taps me on the shoulder and she's like, hey, I really think you should go up there. It's like, okay, so another five minutes of wrestling and I finally get the courage and I go up there and I go up to Cindy and see, I didn't know this at the time, but apparently Cindy was this very prophetic lady who gets invited into the White House to go pray over the president and the different officials. So when Cindy prays over you, you listen and you take it very seriously. But I had no idea who she was at the time. So I walk up to her without telling her anything, except I think that's for me. And she starts to pray over me and says the very specific words, Lord, give him an Elisha double portion anointing. I'm like, oh, okay, like God sees me and he knows me. And it was one of those moments. And then it was really one of those moments when I fell to the ground because I was overwhelmed by the spirit of God. And Cindy keeps praying over me as I'm laying on the ground in front of the whole congregation. And as she's praying over me, then she falls over as well because she's overwhelmed by the spirit of God. So it was just one of those moments where I was like, I have no idea what is happening, but God is doing something. So I finally come to and I get up and I start walking back to my seat and the pastor of the church comes over to me, grabs me and is like, hey, it looks like God is doing something in you. And I just really feel like I'm supposed to pray over you. So she starts to pray over me and she's like, give him an Elisha double portion anointing. So at this point, I'm like, what is happening, Lord? Can I please stay standing for this one? And luckily I do, and it was crazy, and I still had no idea what that even meant, and I still honestly don't have a whole ton of idea what an Elisha double portion anointing is, but I did know that God was doing something in me that I couldn't ignore, even if I wanted to. And I was like, maybe this is it. 
maybe this is the renewal and revival I've been waiting for. Like it's finally happening to me. And through a series of different conversations and prophetic words, the Lord had opened up a word for me to go live in Fargo, North Dakota and help start a college ministry at this church. And I was super stoked to move there. And I was like, this is gonna be amazing. Like God called me out here in an amazing and crazy way. And so he's gonna do some crazy powerful things in me and through me while I'm there. And don't get me wrong, he definitely did that. He just did it in a completely different way than what I was expecting, which seems to be the norm when God is doing something new in us. God's way is often very different from our way, a lot harder than our way and a lot longer than our way. So we see this in different characters throughout scripture, right? We see this with David being anointed king in the fields as a young man, but then he's not actually appointed king until 15 years later when he's 30 years old. So he used to go through this long season of simply just tending sheep in the field alone with God. And then we see this with Joseph. He has this powerful dream in the night where God speaks to him about leading his family. And then pretty soon after he's sold into slavery by his own family. See, oftentimes we have these amazing encounters with God and glorify them as if they're the end point. We really feel like we've arrived, like we're ready to go and change the world. But the reality is that the encounters are just the beginning and how God gets our attention before the actual journey that he takes us on. And the actual journey is, like I said, often a lot harder, a lot longer, and a lot different from what we expected, but it's often so much better but it only is if we fully give ourselves to it. And oftentimes we don't fully give ourselves to God's way because of one very particular obstacle or giant in the land. And that's what I wanna talk to you about today. That's our loneliness. More often than not, the renewal that we long for in God, the transformation and breakthrough only comes when we acknowledge the pervasive feeling that we all have, no matter how much of an extrovert or an introvert we are, but that we all experience some level of loneliness and are searching for something beyond ourselves. We're searching for something beyond the band-aids that we put on to mask our loneliness or the distractions that we fill our time with to avoid it, the busyness, the relationships, the sin habits, whatever it may be. And here's the thing, loneliness really sucks. Like it feels terrible. Like I'm a little more on the introverted side myself and I still really hate it. And for the longest time, I did my very best to avoid it with everything in me. I searched and searched for all the different illusions of fulfillment instead of actually facing my reality. Because oftentimes illusions can be a lot more livable than the reality. And settling for illusions is also a lot easier than actually facing the reality. But it's only when we face our reality of loneliness that we move into what God actually has for us. Loneliness often looks like a dead end when really it's the threshold into the breakthrough and life that God has for us. So let's take a look at this in 1 Kings chapter 19. Go ahead and turn there with me. So right before this passage of scripture in 1 Kings chapter 19, um, we see the prophet Elijah. And he did some pretty dope stuff right before this passage. He had just challenged the 450 prophets of Baal to a duel to see whose God was the true God. He's like, let's both build an altar and place a cut up ox on it and cry out to our respective God. And whichever God answers by lighting fire on the altar is the true God. So he has them go and cut up a bull and place it on the altar and cry out to Baal, but nothing happens, right? 
So then he makes fun of them a little bit and plays with them a little bit more and is like, maybe try harder and cry out louder, but still nothing happens. So then it's Elijah's turn to step up to the plate. He builds an altar to the Lord, places the cut up ox on it, and then he digs a trench all the way around it. And then he has the people take four jars of water and pour it all over the altar, all over the ox. And he has them do that three times till the trench is completely submerged in water. And then he prays to God to answer with fire. And the Lord does. His fire falls and consumes the ox, the wood, and the altar itself, and even the dried up trench. So it's completely gone. So then all the people there fall on their faces and are all like, this is the true God. So then Elijah naturally has all of the prophets of Baal killed. And three years prior to this, Elijah had even prophesied that there would be no rain except at his word. So pretty bold move to make. And for three years, there's no rain. So then right after he had called down fire from heaven, he then prays that there would be rain and rain starts to fall in the middle of a drought. So at this point, Ahab, the king of Israel is like, oh shoot, like I gotta actually go and do something about this. So Ahab was married to this extremely evil and extremely violent woman named Jezebel. Jezebel was the one who initiated worshiping um, Baal in the first place and having all the true prophets killed. And Ahab was definitely just as evil as Jezebel, but as you look through the narrative, it's pretty obvious who wore the pants in the relationship, and it was definitely Jezebel. <laughs> and that's where we pick up in this story. 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 1. Now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, may the gods deal with me be ever so severely if by this time tomorrow, I do not make your life like that of one of them. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there. While he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, he came to a broom bush, sat under it and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, he said, take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. So at face value, the story gets a little bit confusing. Why is Elijah a prophet who just called down fire from heaven and rain in the middle of a drought, running for his life, calling himself a failure and wishing that he were dead? But see to Elijah, his main goal in the first place was to return the hearts of Israel back to the Lord. And Ahab and Jezebel being the leaders of the Northern kingdom of Israel were key to this process, but they still wanted nothing to do with the Lord even after being proved wrong about their own God. And Elijah did all that he could do to prove them wrong and to lead them back to the Lord. And it just got worse. So to Elijah, he felt like a failure, right? It was a challenge and an obstacle he couldn't control, one that wasn't his fault at all. But sometimes, those are the worst ones, right? Those are the ones where we often feel very stuck and very alone. When a challenge or a failure is either a fault or there's a very feasible solution, it's pretty easy to just get back up and to try again or do whatever it is you need to do to fix it, right? right? Like there's some challenges in life where all we have to do is just get back up and try again. And then there's some that are a lot more crushing, some that no matter how hard you try or whatever you do, they happen anyways. Maybe you failed one of your classes because you're struggling with mental health and it caused you to lose the scholarship you worked really hard for. Maybe somebody broke up with you and it doesn't make sense to you why. Maybe you had to break up with someone else because of the path they were leading you down. 
Maybe a friend or a family member walked away from the Lord despite your best efforts. Maybe no matter how many times you've prayed, the sickness or the pain isn't getting any better at all. The depression and the anxiety aren't leaving either. Maybe you lost a friend because of some unresolved conflict that you did all that you could do to try and resolve and it just isn't getting better. See, these are the very things that are out of our control, but they feel like our fault because we've tried everything we can to make it better and nothing changes. It's confusing and it's extremely lonely. And this is the very place that Elijah finds himself in. And that summer in Fargo, it was a place that I found myself in as well. So that summer in Fargo, it started off really strong. I got to enjoy the beauty of a North Dakota summer, getting to play out on the lakes all day. I got to live with an awesome family with four kids. I made some few very close friends that I got really deep with really quickly. And I had all the excitement in the world about getting to start a new ministry, which actually took off pretty quickly and was really fun. And I was having a ton of fun on this new adventure with the Lord, but then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, things seemed to take a turn. So the few close friends that I had um, invited to be on leadership with me, those friends that I got close with really deeply, made some pretty poor choices pretty quickly, and I actually had to ask them to step down from leadership, which caused this divide in our friendship and just a mistrust overall, and it left the ministry hurting, and it was pretty heartbreaking. And then the two friends who I had previously known to moving out there moved away shortly after. The family I lived with was amazing and they were great. But like I said, all their kids were under 10 years old. So like the whole house went to bed at like 8 p.m. And in the summer there, it stays, the sun stays out till like 10.30. So the nights got pretty lonely and pretty boring pretty fast. And I love to go play sports and hike outdoors and everything like that. But all the friends that I could find in the church, all the people my age, were more of the artsy type and like to hang out at coffee shops and like take pictures of each other and stuff like that, which is great if that's your vibe. It just wasn't really mine. And then to top it all up, all off, with all of this happening, I found out that I had low thyroid, which affects your pituitary gland. And without the right medication, you get depressed and there's like nothing you can do about it except for get the right medication. So my dreams of seeing revival amongst college students, my leap of faith to follow the Lord across the country and uproot my life led to me being alone, confused, and afraid. So I started to ask myself questions like, did I miss it? Was I really supposed to come here in the first place? Like, how did trusting the Lord and following his voice lead to what felt like such a big failure? Well, because it's in that very place of confusion and loneliness that the Lord wants to meet us in and do what he couldn't do otherwise. But like Elijah, it's only when we stop running from it and take the time to address the state of our souls that we actually find God in our loneliness. And for the first part of that summer, that's exactly what I kept doing. I did whatever I could do to just avoid the loneliness. I went from activity to activity to just ignore the pain and to try to patch it up. I either kept myself busy by constantly going to the gym or focusing on other things for the ministry, or I just numbed out and binge watched TV. And sometimes I'd get the strength in me to go and do the religious thing and see if that made the pain go away, right? I would do fasts, but they were more like hunger strikes. I would have prayer sessions that were very long, but they were very dry and empty. I would read chapters and chapters of scripture, but it felt more like a textbook. 
And I did that for a while. I ran and I ran like Elijah did until I realized that it wasn't making it any better at all. And like Elijah, sitting underneath that broom bush, I finally sat down in the loneliness and I let myself feel it. And at first it really sucked. If you think of our souls like a shaken up cup, when we actually start to settle down, the things that are shaking in there start to sift to the top and we recognize what's really going on in us and we often don't really like what we see. We stop living this illusion and we start to live in reality and see what's actually happening in our soul. It's really painful, but it's where loneliness becomes the threshold instead of the dead end or it becomes the garden that we get to cultivate instead of the desert that we ignore that keeps getting more and more barren. When we take the time to slow down and enter into stillness, we take the first step towards finding God in our loneliness. So how do we meet God in our loneliness? Well, step number one, we slow down, we relax, and we let God meet us in the stillness. And as Elijah sat under that broom bush, he was actually able to come to a place of rest and face what was going on in him because that's where God can meet him. Blaise Pascal, the famous mathematician and theologian says that all of humanity's problems stem from man's inability to sit quietly alone in a room. Psychologists and psychiatrists alike can often trace the most common complaint of their clients back to the one thing, and that is our inability to deal with our loneliness. Because the thing is that unless we take time to actually be still and know that he is God, like it says in Psalm 46, we either try to play the role of God ourselves and fix our loneliness by grabbing for control and settling for illusions that leave us more and more empty, or worse, we place messianic expectations on our relationships, our friendships, and our communities. We expect our friends, our romantic relationships, or our mentors to be our saviors. And we miss out on the deep relationship with the only one who can actually meet the need our souls crave, which is God himself. And maybe you've actually felt this before. Maybe you've been on a mission trip, a camp, or have experienced a season of life where you felt the nearness of God meet you in that place, and you're just trying as hard as you can to just get back to it and be in that place again and get out of what feels like a dry and empty wilderness now. But what if it's in that very wilderness we try so hard to get out of that God wants to meet us in? And it's not in our frantic efforts and striving that we meet God in the wilderness, but it's in our stillness that he comes and meets us. So Pete Gregg, the leader of the 24-7 prayer movement, says it like this. If we want to get better at hearing the one who speaks in a still small voice, we must befriend silence. If we are to host the presence of the one who says, be still and know that I'm God, we must ourselves become more present. We expect his voice to boom like thunder, but mostly he whispers. We expect him to wear hobnailed boots, but he tiptoes and hides in the crowd. We expect him to be strange, but he often comes disguised as our own life. So what if it's not in our formulas, our religious activity and our striving efforts that God wants to meet us in, but what if it's in our stillness and in our rest? So go ahead and pick back up with me in 1 Kings 19 verses five and six. 
Then he lay down under the bush and fell asleep. All at once an angel touched him and he said, get up and eat. He looked around and there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals in a jar of water. He ate and drank and then lay down again. So that's what Elijah did. He stopped his running. He came to a place of rest and he let God actually nourish his soul. And probably one of the most powerful things that I did that summer in Fargo and that I still do today is I stopped my striving and I waited for God to meet me in my rest. I stopped running around, trying to fill my time with a busy schedule to avoid how I was feeling. I stopped trying so hard to force renewal with these long-winded prayers and more robust quiet times. And I used to actually get mad at myself when I would try and pray. And then about 15 minutes in, I would fall asleep until I heard a pastor put it in a way that I'll never forget. He said, why would God, who's a good and perfect father, get mad when his child falls asleep in his arms? And my time with the Lord then, and honestly in this season, started to look a lot like just resting in the arms of the Father, like just resting in his presence. And I don't mean just sitting in silence for hours on end like some spiritually elite monk either. It's a lot simpler than that. Sometimes it's as simple as just taking 10 minutes to just get comfortable on the couch, relax with no distractions, breathe in the love of Jesus, and breathe out the anxieties of life. Pete Gregg has a really simple rhythm for us to be able to enter into this stillness with God that I really like, and it goes relax, breathe, speak, repeat. So relax, find a comfy spot to sit on, a nice chair, a nice couch, and he calls it what feels like a thin place, so a place where it feels like the, where heaven and earth meet is really thin, and you can just encounter the Lord and rest with him. The second step is just breathe. Just take deep breaths in to breathe in the Holy Spirit, the breath of life, the Ruah, and to breathe out all the anxieties of life. And then to simply just speak a small prayer that you can focus on over and over again and just center yourself on Jesus. So it can be like, Jesus, I belong to you, or one that's a really ancient practice that is really helpful because all of the syllables match the breathing patterns is Abba, I belong to you. As simple as Abba in and I belong to you out. You just do that over and over and the distractions are gonna come and your mind's gonna get lost, but then you bring it back in. So that's why you repeat it over and over again. And sometimes this is amazing. It's really easy for me to enter into. And sometimes I'm pretty scatterbrained and I have to go on a run or on a walk to enter into stillness with God. And so this is actually called kinetic centering. And for those of us that are a lot more wound up and are busy and distracted a lot, this can be a little bit easier, especially for those of us that are kinetic learners or external processors, which in a church like this, that's a lot of us. In fact, within the very first 20 or so minutes of exercise, our brain releases this protein called BDNF, which starts to repair these memory neurons inside of us. And then the activity in our brain starts to increase to help our concentration. And then our endorphins, they help us to be at a blissful peace. And so, so for some of you, when you go on a hike or on a run, you're like, well, I never come to a blissful peace when I exercise. But for others of us, you really do hit this point where you're able to just kind of let all the worries of life get away and you're able to focus on one thing and just kind of get lost with the Lord. That's why there's a lot of people who have a lot easier time 
going on a walk with the Lord or going on a hike with him because he actually created them to meet with him in that way, to draw away from the everyday busyness of life and just get alone with him. And Jesus himself actually went up on mountains to pray, not because mountains were a holier place, but in his humanity, Jesus also was able to experience a form of stillness in this way where it helped him to come into deeper communion with his father. And with all of this stillness stuff, you're not gonna be perfect at it. The point is to actually rest from the busyness and not just add another thing to your to-do list. And the point also isn't to just rest either, right? The point is to let God come and meet us in our rest. So the point is to do whatever it is that's gonna stir our soul to get there. And if you're in like a much harder season of meeting with the Lord, then don't make things difficult on yourself. Meet with the Lord in a way that makes him obvious. Go on a hike in the mountains like I talked about, where you can't deny the beauty of his creation. Go watch a sunset and just admire what he's doing. Go watch an episode of The Chosen and imagine yourself there with the characters. Read a novel that speaks to your soul or a really good book. I myself love to read different allegories with these themes that show up as Jesus because I feel incredibly close to God when I do that because that's the whole point of it anyways. We're not trying to make it to the other side of loneliness like we're overcoming something or leveling up spiritually in some way where we never feel lonely again. We're going from filling the ache and the void that loneliness leaves with busyness and distraction to filling it with friendship with God because that's where the renewal really comes. It's not this deep existential introspective next level of the spiritual journey with God, but it's becoming who God really created us to be in the first place. And that's only found in friendship with him because God is the only one who can actually show us who we truly are. Let's pick up in verse seven. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, get up and eat for the journey is too much for you. So he got up, ate and drank. Strengthened by that food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. There he went into a cave and spent the night and the word of the Lord came to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left and now they're trying to kill me too. So God already knew how Elijah was feeling because he's God and knew exactly what he was doing and how he was feeling. And he already knew how to get him out of this situation and to bring about his redemption, just like he does with us, right? God could have snapped his fingers in a moment and got Elijah out of his situation immediately, or he could have given up on Elijah altogether and just used a different prophet instead to accomplish his purposes. But God doesn't just snap his fingers and pull us out of our situation because he's interested in just being this magic genie in the sky. And he doesn't just give up on us when we're confused, when we're alone and afraid because he's this slave driver that just needs to win this war against Satan. Instead, he meets us in the very challenge, the hardship and the loneliness so that we get what we really need, which is him. So God asked Elijah, what are you doing here? And he actually lets Elijah unburden his heart. And Elijah responds by sparing no honesty with God about how he was feeling. And we shouldn't either. God doesn't meet us in our illusions. He meets us in our very reality. 
The book of Psalms, the prayer book that Jesus himself learned to pray with is pretty honest if you've ever read it. Sometimes I read it and I'm like, should this actually be in here? Like some of the things that said is a a little intense. The thing is that God is more inclined to listen to our messy and even angry prayers because those are the actual authentic ones. Thomas Merton puts it pretty bluntly. He says this, God is far too real to meet us in anything but our reality. So step number two in moving from loneliness to friendship with God is honesty. Just get honest with him. That's what I did in Fargo. I stopped trying to hide all my emotions, my pain and my disappointment that I felt and I took it and I began to actually process it with God. And I'd like to be able to tell you that this was this really short and easy process and that I have a 10-step formula with how to be honest with God. But to be honest with you, it was a lot longer and a lot harder than I thought it'd be because of how much that I'd stuffed down for so long. But I do know this. God was incredibly faithful to me throughout the journey and he was incredibly patient with me to help just gently shepherd me through it like a good father is. Pick up in verse 11. The Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. See, I wanted so badly that summer for my situation to change, for things to get a lot better just in an instant, right? For my heart to come alive again in just one powerful encounter with God. But I'm so glad that it didn't happen that way. Because if it did, I would have missed out on the sweet journey of friendship that came from simply listening to the gentle whisper of the Lord. And I've had some pretty amazing encounters with God in my life that I'm extremely thankful for. And obviously so is Elijah. That's why God actually even reminds him of them. Remember for Elijah, what he had often seen in his life is God move through the big things like fire from heaven and rain falling down. So he shows him this earthquake and he shows him that he's not in that though. He shows him the wind and he shows him that he's not in that either. And he shows him fire and he's not in that, but that he's in the gentle whisper. And that's the place where I really learned that he was with me myself, that I wasn't just a friend of God when he was using me for ministry or when he was showing up in these big, powerful ways, but that I was with God in the day in and day out activities of life. So step number three in moving from loneliness to deeper friendship with God is stop trying to force the big encounters and just lean into the gentle whisper because the gentle whispers are often how he shows up in the thick of things. And remember, it's important to not spend all of our time just talking at God, but to actually learn to listen and to get to know his voice as well, because that is what friendship is really like, right? It's a two-sided dialogue. He's with us and he's in us and he's longing for us to know him more and more, but we just have to actually get to know what he sounds like first so that we can get to know him more and more. And it's not always this big booming thing. John Wimber describes it as the lightest inclination of a feather. Like if you don't actually pay attention to it when it touches you, you end up missing it completely. 
In John 16, verses 13, it says, but when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. And I like the way it says it in this passage of scripture because I think it demystifies it for us. It doesn't always have to sound like this voice out here, but it's often just this inner still voice that's revealing truth to us that the Lord wants to make known to us. And so some ways that I practice getting to hear this gentle whisper is through the word. So I read the word of God a lot and I read it, yes, because I'm trying to encounter God in it and also because I'm trying to figure out what his voice actually sounds like so that when he calls upon me, I actually know what he is he's trying to say. And the other practice is I try to journal quite a bit. I probably journal every single morning and it's less of me just talking at God and it's more so me asking him a question like, Father, what do you love about me? And I simply just write it down. Or Lord, what is it that you want me to do today? And how do you want me to give my attention to you today? And then I just write it down. It's this place of stewardship that happens as we actually write down what God is speaking to us so that then he can trust us more and more with his voice. And the biggest way that he actually trusts us more and more with his voice is what it says in John 15, verses 14, where Jesus says, you are my friends if you do what I command. So there's this theme of friendship and obedience that are tied right together because that's the way that we actually respond to the Lord in love is that we love him with our obedience. We yield to what he's wanting to do in our lives. And as we yield to him and surrender more and more, he can trust us more and more because the friends that God is looking for is looking for are those that he can actually trust. And it's not just all about this, okay, God is gonna speak something to me and then I have to go obey it. Like it's this performance driven thing, right? We're like, we're not robotic slaves that he's ordering around. But when we lean into his voice, it actually gives us greater intimacy with him because we get to actually know him more and more. There's greater encouragement because he tells us who we really are. And there's greater security because he tells us that he's with us. And this can often be kind of a a daunting and a new thing for a lot of people. But here's my encouragement. I don't wanna get into all the nuances of it. And if you guys wanna talk more about it, you can grab one of us as a college staff. We preached about it a little bit last year on how to hear the voice of God. And we'd love to walk that through with you. But my encouragement to you is to just get out of your head, lighten up with it and have some fun with it. If I've learned anything, it's much more of an adventure with the Holy Spirit than it is a formula. So before I had ever even moved out to Fargo, I was actually getting coffee with Dawson and we were processing, like if I should actually move out there, is God actually speaking this? And I'm sitting there with him at this coffee shop and Dawson starts to talk, about, talk to me about the concept of having a fleece of like how when Gideon was asking the Lord um, to confirm that he was showing up to him and this was what the Lord wanted him to do, that the Lord, that Gideon would set a fleece out for him and that God would show up and wet the fleece and Gideon did this a couple of times and the Lord actually showed up to him. And so Dawson was like, hey, you should do that too, but you should ask the Lord for a token. And I'm like, okay, cool, ask the Lord for a token. I don't really know what that means, but I'll do it. And so I was like, Dawson knows what it's like to hear the Lord. He's a pretty in touch with the spirit kind of guy. So I was like, all right, I'm gonna do that. And so I asked the Lord, Lord, if you really want me to move to Fargo, would you give me a token to confirm it? 
And so I'm listening to another sermon later that day. And as I'm listening to it, the pastor starts to talk about this guy named George Mueller. I don't know if you guys know who that is, but George Mueller was this guy who started an orphanage and is this amazing man of God. And it's a very successful orphanage and just a, a hero of the faith for sure. But George Mueller, before he started this orphanage, knew that he needed to raise a million dollars. So he was trying to raise a million dollars to happen to actually have this um, orphanage. And as he's doing that, there's no money coming in and he's walking around and he finds a penny. And he's like, this is confirmation that the Lord wants me to do this. It's this penny. And as he says that, I'm walking around and I feel something in my shoe. And so I take off my shoe and there's nothing in my shoe. And then I take off my sock and in my sock, I find a penny, like as I'm listening to this sermon. So from that point on, I'm like, okay, I'm called to go to Fargo and I'm called to lean in to the small things that God is speaking. Because here's the thing, when we actually lean in, even the pennies, the little things, they show us what God's doing. So that's my encouragement to you is let it be an adventure with God and just lean into the small things because they often lead to even bigger things. So one weekend when I was out in Fargo, um, I was invited to go camping with a family that I, that I lived with. And they were going out in Itasca State Park out in Minnesota. And I wasn't really sure if I wanted to go because I had some other friends that invited me to go play out on the lakes all day. So I decided to go with my other friends to this lake house. And as I'm there, I hear that gentle whisper of the Holy Spirit tell me, hey, son, it's time to go on that camping trip. And I was like, okay, well, I could ignore this and brush this off as my own, like we often do. But I decided, you know what? I'm just gonna take a chance and believe that this is God speaking to me. So I drive a couple hours out to Itasca and I show up to the camping trip. I say hi to, to everybody there. And then there's this guy I've never met before. And he sits down right beside me. And instead of introducing himself to me, he looks right at me. And he just says, you're in the right place at the right time. I was like, okay, that's a, that's a little weird and a little strange. But then for the next three hours, he just starts praying over me. And as he does, he's like reading my mail the entire time and telling me exactly what I need to hear for him to, like for the Lord to encourage me. And it was crazy. Like he was telling me everything about me. He was telling me like what scriptures I was reading, what was on my heart, the breakthrough that God was gonna bring to me. And it was for like three hours and we're in the woods. So the whole time I'm like getting eaten alive by mosquitoes, but I didn't care at all because the Lord had just showed up to me in a really powerful way. See, I leaned into the small whisper and it led to even more powerful thing actually happening. And that's often how it goes for us. As we lean into the, more, the small whisper, the Lord magnifies his voice more and more as we keep doing that. And so from that point on, I was like, this is how I have to live my life, right? Like, God, if you speak and it's even the lightest inclination, I am leaning on you and I'm following you. And so I committed to doing just that. And it wasn't just one encounter, right? That changed everything for me and my loneliness was gone and I was good to go again. But it was a season of cultivating friendship with him where it began to change and transform my heart. Pick up with me in verse 13. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. Then a voice said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? So after showing Elijah that he was with him in the gentle whisper, God asked him the exact same question. And Elijah replies, I have been very zealous 
for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. So after showing Elijah that he was with him in the gentle whisper, God asks Elijah the same question, and Elijah gives him the same answer. Because his situation hasn't changed at all, but now he actually knows that God is with him in it. And that's often how God shows up in our loneliness when we choose to meet him in the stillness, get vulnerable with him and listen to his voice and recognize that he's with us, right? It's, it's when we recognize that the living God is with us, it changes everything, even if our situation itself doesn't actually change. And so my internship came to an end in Fargo and I was offered to stay on to continue to lead the college ministry, but I knew that I had to listen to that still small voice. And that still small voice actually led me back to Albuquerque where I grew up and I get to Albuquerque and honestly, nothing had really changed about my situation. I was still battling depression because my thyroid wasn't right yet. I didn't have any friends because I hadn't been there for five years. So I really just knew my family. I let go of the opportunity to lead a college ministry and I worked at a local restaurant instead. In a lot of ways, it felt like a failure, but I knew that God was with me now. And it wasn't because I did all the religious things, right? It was because I took the time to slow down, get honest with God and focus on the day in and day out friendship with him. My situation hadn't changed all that much, but God had shown me how to take the desert of loneliness and turn it into a garden of communion that I actually met him in. And once I knew that God was actually with me, God knew that he could use me in a much more powerful way, right? Moving from our loneliness to deeper friendship with God isn't just for ourselves, but it's actually for everybody around us. Once we allow God to meet us in our loneliness, instead of turning um, for the distractions of filling it with shallow relationships, our souls get a lot lighter. We get a lot less self-focused and our friendships actually get a lot deeper. And while I was there in Albuquerque, that's exactly what happened. My relationships with my family got way deeper than they ever have, something I was believing for for a really long time. I had met some really close friends at a young adult group whose hearts burn for revival like mine do, and we're actually still really close today. And I finally started to experience that renewal that I was longing for. But it wasn't an instant, but it was over time in a season where I had no other option but to actually face the loneliness I was going through. And God met me in that loneliness with deep and sweet friendship with him. And the best part is that he didn't just leave me there either because we were designed for intimate and deep friendship with God from the very beginning, right? But from the very beginning, we also see that God said it's not good for man to be alone. We just have to actually make sure we get the right order right and we go to meet with God first to fill our soul and then we take that and overflow to other people and bless people with relationship instead of trying to just take and take relationship from them. So step number four of going from loneliness to friendship with God is let that friendship bless everyone around you. Pick up with me in verse 15 and we'll end here. The Lord said to him, go back the way you came and go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Hazael, king over Aram, also anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, king over Israel, anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat from 
Abel Meholah to succeed you as prophet. <laughs> Thank you. Jehu will put to death any who escaped the sword of Hazael, and Elisha will put to death any who escaped the sword of Jehu. Yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal and whose mouths have not kissed him. So after God met Elijah in his wilderness of loneliness and showed him he was with him, he doesn't just keep him there, but he actually throws him right back into what he had called him to. And that's exactly what God does with us. And that's what he did with me. After spending some time in Albuquerque and being offered the opportunity to jump in with a different college ministry out there, I actually heard the still small voice again. And this time he was actually telling me to move back here to Arizona. So God, whoa. All right. So God had opened a door for me to come back out here and join the college staff. And I'd like to say that it was smooth and easy sailing from there, but honestly, it was pretty far from it. So the college ministry was completely different from when I had left, and it was struggling in a few ways, to put it lightly. And almost immediately, I lost one of my best friends upon getting here. And then three months later, this thing called COVID hits and shakes the whole world up. So moving back here, I actually felt like the situation got a lot worse. But this time, in the state of my soul, it was a lot different because I knew that God was with me in it and I knew where to find him. And here's what I learned through all of it. A renewal of the heart precedes what God actually has for you because you're gonna need it to get through it. Would you stand with me as we head into a time of response? Jesus, we love you and we turn to you. God, we turn to you and to you alone. Lord, would you make yourself more evident to us tonight? God, would you make us more aware of your presence, God? Would you show us who you really are and would you show us who we really are? Lord, would you meet every lonely heart in this place tonight, God? Whether we're in the thick of it right now or Lord, there's a lonely season that might be coming up because you're drawing us into more intimacy with you. Lord, would you begin to just whisper to us and tell us what we really need to hear? Lord, I thank you that you're not in the business of just leaving us alone and hanging us out to dry. That God, even in the most barren of winters, you're right there in the gentle whisper. Would you give us the courage to face it? Would you give us the courage to be vulnerable with you, to be honest with you, even if those prayers seem mean or angry or they don't seem theologically correct or whatever it may be, Lord, would we not hide behind our illusions, but we would actually face our reality? God, would you move all across this room? Now, there's a couple of ways that I feel like God wants us to respond tonight, but the main one is to just get alone with him. And I know we're in a big room and we're with all of one another, but just find a place to meet with God and just get, be still with him. Let the words just wash over you. Let the song wash over you. If you need a journal to write down every speaking, I recommend you do that to steward it. You guys can meet with him up here at the front. You can meet with him in the back. You can spread out all across the room. This isn't about some big, I don't know, ministry moment where everybody comes rushing the front. It's about you and Jesus.
It's about you meeting with the one who longs to meet every need of yours. And for others of you, God has blessed you with a sweet season of friendship with him. And you're called to bless others with that tonight. So if that's you, I wanna encourage you to just go pray over people. Even if they might not be the ones who are experiencing loneliness themselves, oftentimes when God is doing something in us that's powerful, he wants us to give it away. So I'd encourage you to do that too. And if there's anything else that you need, any prayer that you need at all, we'll have some of our staff up front, some of our ministry team up front, just be available for you to get some prayer. But whatever you do, don't miss this chance to respond to God.